Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be within your homes once again today. I pray that even with this, I know two weeks ago I said it should only last two weeks. Well, that was wrong, wasn't it? Uh, but even with everything going on, once again, I would like for you to exercise what Henry spoke about last week, that of love and authenticity, of reaching out, of making a point of reaching out to everybody else. Jono, thank you very much for helping us with our breathing today. Uh, but as he shared, because of the, the mental health, the brain health, as Jono put it, is of vital importance that we won't get caught up, uh, that we won't become withdrawn, that we won't just surround ourselves in our own little worlds, but actually through technology, through the fact that we can reach out via text, via email, via video call, whatever, we can reach out to those around us to let them know, not only the love of God, but to let them know that they are being thought of, to let them know that they're being prayed for, to let them know that they're still... Either they're out of sight, they are not out of mind. Now, we are coming to the last few of our core values that we've been going through over the last several weeks. Values that are both important for us to know, but also necessary for us to live out. Why? Because the church's core values are of great importance due to their biblical grounding. Our core values are based upon biblical realities, realities that are foundational, missional, and vocational. When I say foundational, we look at our first three that we've done so far. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the Holy Spirit, the power of the church, and the Bible, the Word of God, which is the authority of the church. Those are all foundational for our Christian lives. Then we looked at the fact of missional our fourth core value was that of evangelism, of taking the gospel out to those who don't know Jesus. And ministry, the service of the church, or sorry, the function of the church as we minister to each other and in turn minister to the community around us. And then last week, we began our what I call our vocational heart core values. As we looked at last week when Henry shared about love and authenticity, the marks of the church, what identifies the church, what identifies us as his disciples, that of our love for one another. And it is that particular core value that actually grows and, and deepens as we look at today's core value. And today's core value is number seven, which I've titled spiritual growth, the maturing of the church. Spiritual growth, the maturing of the church. So let's open in a word of prayer and let's look at this core value from the word of God together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your goodness, for your grace, and for your mercy. I thank you now that we have the privilege to be able to go into the word and have you speak to us personally, that you will meet us where we're at, that you will challenge us, that you will convict us, and that you will change us. I ask, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, will reach out to each one of us now and transform us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be doers of your word, not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, core value number six. Uh, or number seven, sorry. <laughs> My apologies. Core value number seven starts off with this. It says, spiritual growth. 
Every believer should yearn for continuous growth and become a fully devoted disciple of Christ. Let me read that one more time. Spiritual growth. Every believer should yearn for continuous growth and become a fully devoted disciple of Christ. Now, there is an interesting wording in this specific core value that to me makes it stand out from the other core values we've done up to now. You see, the previous core values, I've looked at them and I've titled them as, as prompts, as reminders that align us as a church with the heart, with the mind, and with the goals of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. This core value isn't a prompt or a reminder, but rather it is an exhortation or a specific expectation placed upon us because it is a core value that appeals to us being a specific way. As in, like, now that this is who we are, this is how we are to live as a Christian. And this is all communicated in one specific word that this core value uses. And that is the word should. That is the word should. Read with me again those first words. It says spiritual growth. It says every believer should. Now there's the expectation. Every believer should, that if you are a Christian, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, if you've committed your life to God through faith in Jesus Christ and be born again of his spirit, then according to the Bible, not according to the core value, according to the Bible, you are to yearn. You should yearn for continuous growth. That you should yearn for continuous growth and become a fully devoted disciple of Christ. Where do I draw this whole idea of what do you mean it's an expectation? What do you mean should? What's the biblical basis for this claim? You read all throughout the scriptures, for example, Colossians chapter 1.10, when it talks about walking worthy of the Lord and being in every manner pleasing to him. At the end of verse 10, it says that we should be growing or increasing in the knowledge of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says that we will grow in every respect to become mature, the mature body of him who is the head, meaning Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 2, which I've quoted numerous times over the series, we are to desire sincere miracle of the word. Why? That you might grow thereby. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says that we are to grow in grace and in knowledge of Christ our Savior, and so on, and so on, and so on. Much like the tree planted by the rivers of water that it talks about in Psalm 1. Much like the, 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 the palm, and much like the palm that, oh sorry, the olive tree that flourishes in the house of God in Psalm 52. Much like the, the palm tree that's like the cedar of Lemonade in Psalm 92, there is an expectation of growth that is to take place. Why? Because each of these examples that we've looked at from the New Testament and from the Psalms, they all communicate this one reality that's connected with everything regarding growth, is that it's connected to life. Where there is life, there is supposed to be growth. There is that expectation of growth. or At the very least, there should be a yearning for growth. We expect this in physical terms. We expect this in relational terms. We expect this in professional terms and in intellectual terms. We expect this in vocational terms. And even today, we have to expect this in spiritual terms as well. So this morning, we're going to look at this expectation and yearning regarding our spiritual growth. 
the expectation I've titled the capacity for growth and the yearning being our cultivation of growth. Those are the two things that we're going to look at today. So firstly, our capacity for growth. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Now, when I refer to our capacity for growth, I'm looking at, excuse the way I word this, I'm looking at the predetermined outcome that one is destined for. Okay? When I look at the capacity for growth, I'm looking at the predetermined outcome that one is destined for in general terms. For example, we look at babies, and we have this expectation that babies are going to grow from baby boys, from babies to boys, from boys to men. We just have that expectation of growth from children to adulthood, young girls to young, to, from, sorry, young babies to young girls to young women. There's this expectation of growth. And in that growth, we experience all these things that shape us in that journey of growth. Thus, from a child to where we are now, there's always this capacity or this potential for us to grow. Like Jesus is referred to, and I think it's in Luke chapter 2, that he grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and man. That same capacity is laid out for us in the spiritual sense as well. That when one responds by faith to the gospel message and is born again by a spirit, like Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, then in like manner, when one is born again by the Spirit of God, when one has a renewal of heart, a renewal of nature, when one has made a new creation in Christ, there is this expectation for you and I to grow spiritually as well. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, we have this progression laid out. I'm not going to read the actual passage, but look at verses 12 to 14, and I'm just going to talk you through it, okay? For example, in verse, eight, in verse 12, John addresses all believers as children. Now, that word children, it implies to all children, how we are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That word children applies to every believer, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how little you've been a Christian, no matter how old you are as a person, if you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. But then he looks into the specific generations of spiritual growth of each particular group. For example, in verse 13, he says, I write unto you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. This generation of believers is marked by their intimacy and by their knowledge of God. Not just knowledge about God, but by the knowledge of God. He writes then to the young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. They are identified by their zeal and by their enthusiasm, as well as their knowledge of the word and their strength. And you look at that in verse 14 as well. And then lastly, he writes... To children, in verse 14, he says, I write unto you children because you know the Father. Now that word children in this verse talks about babies, literal babies. It talks about immaturity. It talks about not having the capacity to be able to function on your own. It's like the basic of the basic of the basic of the faith. That's what he's referring to there. Those are the three generations here of being an infinite it's like the whole, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. And that's all you know. You see, the ultimate goal as a child of God isn't just to be a Christian. 
The ultimate goal as a child of God is not just to know your sins are forgiven, as great and as liberating as that is. The ultimate goal as a Christian isn't merely to be strong and knowledgeable in the word so that victory can be claimed, as amazing and as God-glorifying that is. The ultimate goal is that we would reach the stage of growth where we know him. It's one thing to know the word of God. It's another thing to know the God of the word. It's one thing to seek the blessing. It is another thing to seek the blesser. I remember Pastor Roger who wrote a letter. He was so busy in the work of the Lord that he forgot the Lord of the work. That's the difference. That's the difference. That the goal for us as believers, the goal of our spiritual growth, our yearning is to know him. It's what Paul prayed in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, of his sufferings, that I might be made conformable unto his death. It is what we are charged in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, that we might know him, that he is the Lord who exercises righteousness and judgment. That we look at Joel chapter 2, verse 27, that's what God desires for his people, that they might know him. At Bible College, there was a great lecturer by the name of Trevor McElwain. Trevor McElwain was a missionary out in Papua New Guinea for a number of years. And he actually termed himself as being a failed missionary. But I remember when I went to one of his classes, and this was a lot of our, our lecturers at college, a lot of them were missionaries. And they were teaching not from the knowledge of God in regards experientially. They were talking from a relational aspect with God. Because I remember leaving Trevor's lecture Walking away, not saying, what a great lecture, what a great lecturer, what a great time in class. I came walking out of that class with Trevor thinking, what a great God we serve. What a great God we know. That, is, that's, that should be, even for myself as a preacher, that should be the goal that people walk away with a greater sense of who God is. The greatness of his love, the beauty of his person, the majesty of his character, that should be the goal. That When we walk away, we think, wow, what a God. And all the lecturers that I had at college who were missionaries spoke from knowing God and communicating that in their lessons. They didn't teach from theory. They taught from practice. These were men and women of God who I saw as fathers that knew their God. And in knowing their God, they were fulfilling their capacity for growth. And knowing their God, they were fulfilling their potential because it was positioning them in line with the truths of, say, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, where it says that we are chosen in Him before the creation of, of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. That we are predestined for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace. See, when we know God, we are positioned in such a way to not only know these things, but to understand such truths that impress upon our hearts this amazing transformation to be more like Him. And that's what makes it amazing. That is our capacity for growth. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 puts it this way. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is our capacity for growth to be more like Jesus. And that he has provided that, he's predestined that for us to be more like his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. This is our capacity for growth, to become 
more like Jesus as we obey his word. The capacity for growth as we respond to his spirit. The, the capacity for growth as we submit to his will. And, and while this may seem unattainable for us, the blessing is this, that whatever God calls you and I to, he does so in a way that enables us to be able to fulfill that calling. That's what's exciting. He doesn't leave it for us. He actually helps us to be able to attain this. For example, you look at Gideon, who was encouraged to stand as fearful as he was. Joshua, who was guaranteed victory regardless of the ridiculous battle plan he was given at Jericho. Walk around the city seven times and blow trumpets. You look at Peter when he preached a message and thousands came to Christ, even though he was guilty of denying Christ three times. Look at Josiah, who led a nation as an eight-year-old. Paul, who had an impact on the world that we feel even today, even while he was in prison. What God did in all these lives is a testament to this capacity for spiritual growth that he wants us to achieve, that he has enabled us to achieve, that he journeys along with us to see that journey fulfilled. This is the capacity because it's expected of all of us. It's for every person who names the name of Christ. We have the potential to become more like Jesus, and he has enabled us to be able to meet that because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is the promise that we're given in his word. You look at this reality in John 15. You've got your Bible turned to John 15. I'm reading from the CSB. I'm just going to read the first five verses. It says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes. Every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because without me you can do nothing. I've shared this reality once again. We often speak about how we live for God. It's, it's not a matter of us, and this is what's emphasized. Jim Simbler from the Brooklyn Tabernacle emphasizes this. It's not about us living for God John 15 verses 1 to 5 speaks about us living from God. That's what it means. About us living from the life that the vine gives. About us being dependent upon the life and the power and the change that the vine brings. This is our capacity for growth. And it's a capacity that you and I all share. And, and what I like about this is that whilst this capacity is there and whilst it may seem unattainable for us, our second point is this, that this cultivation for growth or of growth can take place because of how he brings us on that journey with us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to get there eventually. The capacity for growth, the expectation of what we are becoming by being connected to the vine also carries with it this amazing encouragement that the cultivation of our spiritual growth is something that we get to join God in. It's not a single, it's not a a one-sided thing. I mean, he, yes, he set for us 
the capacity for growth, to become more like Jesus, yes. But he doesn't leave it there. What he does, like, like what he did when he left the heavens to be born of a virgin, he came down, was born of it, adorned himself in human flesh, lived a life of perfection, fulfilled God's standard, was crucified, rose again the third day, and ascended back to the right hand of God. He did all of that for us to bring us to his level, to bring us to his standard. He didn't leave it all for us. He never leaves it all for us. He takes care of it all, and we get to enjoy this. So this cultivation of our growth is something we get to join God with as well. When asked at a Bible study, I I had a Bible study with the leaders uh, every couple of weeks. I really enjoy it. And we're looking at this core value. We're looking at spiritual growth. And I asked them about various verses that they look at regarding spiritual growth. And what's really neat is that these two points, that of the, the capacity for growth and the cultivation for growth came out in all the verses that were shared by the leaders. For example, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 was the verse that Jono shared, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Emphasizing the sovereign hand of God that as the gardener, referred to in John 15, he is pruning us. He is working with us that we might become more fruitful. He's involved from the start to the middle, right to the very end. Julie referred to the same verse, because she came a bit late to the study. And then she actually re-emphasized Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That he is the author, because that word workmanship is where we get our English word poem. That he is the author that pens and shapes us into the masterpiece of his design. Charis shared Romans chapter 5, verse 4, that in that workmanship process, the Lord takes us through afflictions, as it talks about in chapter 5, verse 3 of Romans, to produce in us endurance, which in turn proves character, which then in turn produces hope. And we are told in Romans 5, 5, that hope makes not ashamed because the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given unto us. Through all of which Cass shared about the fruit of the Spirit, how the fruit of the Spirit is growing in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Our love, joy, peace, good, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the midst of all those afflictions comes to fruition. And now here is the blessing bestowed upon us. That with this capacity of God's involvement, that we can get an opportunity to be a part of that involvement as well. That we are part of that cultivation process. We are part of that growth by the choices that we make. And this is what Mike shared, Mike Moran shared. The blessing bestowed upon us that we can, we can play this part in the cultivation process from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It's about us choosing to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. It's about us choosing not to lean on our own understanding. It's about us choosing to acknowledge him in all our ways because it's then that he will direct our paths. See that part that we get to play there? Making those choices, not to rely on our understanding, choosing to trust. It's Chris in like manner. He shared Hebrews chapter 1, sorry, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about how we're surrounded with this great cloud of witnesses. It says this, that we can in turn make the choice to lay aside every weight and the sin 
that so easily besets us. That we can make the choice to run with patience the race that is set before us. That we can make the choice to look under Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the part that we play in the cultivation process of making the choice. If you look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Solomon uses that same language. He says, if you accept my words and store up my commands in verse 1, if you turn your ear and apply your heart in verse 2, if you call out for insight and cry for understanding in verse 3, if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure in verse 4. It then says this in verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is the yearning for growth that joins with God's involvement and results in spiritual growth. And our spiritual growth and our deeper relationship with him. You see, we can play an active part in cultivating the soil of our hearts, so that when the seed of God's word lands there, it'll take root and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, or some 100, which is what makes the passage in 2 Peter chapter 1 so exciting. You read with me in verses 3 to 7, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I want to read that one verse again. This is what he has set in place. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Here we see God's involvement. Here we see God setting in place these great and precious promises that him giving everything that we need to live a godly life, that we might participate of the divine nature, which is followed then by our choice to cultivate our choices to cultivate that which is ideal for growth. He says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a farmer. I used to live out at a campsite. That was some hard work. Fed horses, fed sheep, donkeys, all that sort of stuff. Now, I can imagine what a farmer's like, but I do know this, that farmers, they got it hard. They do some hard work. Up at the crack of dawn, working all day, looking after the thing, it's hard work. They make every effort to make sure that their cattle or their herds, whatever they might be, are cared for and looked after well. We are told if we are yearning for spiritual growth, we are to make every effort I make every effort to try and live a healthy lifestyle. Doesn't work all the time. My diet is terrible. But I, I, I try to get out and exercise. I try not to eat too much junk food. I try to limit my, 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 my portion sizes. I try to make every effort so I don't eat unhealthily. So 
this is one of the curses, okay? So we, we might minimize our portion sizes, but then we have maybe five or six portions. That's what we do, isn't it? Well, that's, that, that's what I do. If, if you don't, that's cool. Props to you if you don't, okay? But make every effort. If we're concerned about spiritual growth, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. I'm not going to go into each of these individually. That's something that you can have a look at yourself. But there's this progression there of growth. You want to grow spiritually? Then make those efforts. Take the steps in your life to add to your faith these things. That it might grow naturally. How do we develop such things? How do we cultivate such a heart? How do we develop such an attitude? Well, yes, it does start with knowing the capacity for growth. We know that we're to be more like Jesus. We know we're to walk as Jesus walked, to love as Jesus loves, to trust as Jesus trusted. But knowing must then on our part be coupled with being and doing. Being obedient. Being reliant. Being a child of God. Cultivating that heart of being. Because in cultivating that heart of being and doing you'll reap the rewards or what I like to call the consequence that takes place in growth. Look in verse 8. It says this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, stop there, increasing measure, that's progression. It's a phrase that indicates a progressive growth, not an instantaneous reaching of the destination. Straight away, it implies time. It implies perseverance. It implies commitment. We are in a society that is, everything is based on instant gratification of 5G internet speeds, of instant coffee. I mean, think about this. If you go back into the internet and you had to dial up and you heard that screeching and you're waiting, you thought it was the greatest thing. You waited three or four minutes before you actually got online. Now if you have to wait three or four seconds, you complain that your internet is, dra- is lagging. You see what I mean? We, we want things now. But we are told here that this whole partaking of a divine nature, this whole pa- thing of, of living these great and precious promises, it's increasing measure. It's going to take time. But what happens when you submit to the way God desires to work in each of your hearts, carry on with the verse, it says, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does not that promise stir your heart? Does not that promise excite you? That the knowledge of Jesus Christ as sovereign Lord, as loving Savior, as righteous judge, as transcendent creator, as the good shepherd, as the light of the world, as the resurrection and the life, that the knowledge of him will keep you from being these two things, unproductive and ineffective. Those are two things that none of us want to have in our spiritual lives. We do not want to be unproductive. We don't want to be unproductive in life. We don't want to be ineffective in life. And to think that in our spiritual growth, we will neither be unproductive or ineffective in our knowledge of Jesus. Because in our knowledge of Jesus, we've come to recognize who he is. 
We acknowledge the position he has. We recognize the involvement that he takes and the extent that he goes to. And when you can get a glimpse of those things, then what happens? Well, you're productive because you're submitted to him who was from the beginning. You're not ineffective because you're relying on him who is the Alpha and the Omega. Because you know him who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's exciting. That if we add, then the consequences we will not be ineffective or unproductive, which causes you and I to just side note here on what can be considered a controversial thought. If in your life you have zero desire for growth, if in your life you have no yearning for God or the things of God or the knowledge of God, then I would ask you to examine and question whether you really know him. Whether you actually have a relationship with him. If the marks of the church, as Henry shared about last week, was love and authenticity, and Philippians 1, Paul says that love is supposed to abound more and more, then maybe, just maybe, or perhaps, perhaps we are not as mature, spiritual, or deep in our walks with Jesus as we think we are. You see, our capacity for growth must start with us by being connected to the vine. If you're not connected to Jesus by faith and repented of your sin, then you're not a part of his family. You're not born again, and you are still in your sin. Which means then that we must take that step of faith by submitting to God's word, submitting to the person of Christ as he brings about within us a renewed mind, a newness of life. And with that newness of life and renewed mind, there comes a new desire and a longing to fulfill the capacity that God has set in place for us. This then promises God's working in us and with us to cultivate our hearts as we are placed and place ourselves in the best position for growth. And here's the thing. Sometimes that position God sees that's best for our growth may be trial. Maybe hardship, maybe difficulty, it may be victory, it may be failure, it may be triumph, it may just be loss. But the fact is this God can take whatever it is, if God can work all things together for good for those that love Him, for those who are called according to His purposes, then He can take whatever circumstance we're in, whether it be a lockdown right now, whether it be an extended lockdown that may go on for however long it may be, this is something that God could use to develop us for his glory, to grow us. It's the strength of the tree that can withstand the storm has to go through the storm first because it's in those storms that the roots go further down to find stability. May we find our foundation in the person of Christ as our roots go down to the word of God and find our comfort and our support and our strength there. Because in the knowledge of Christ, prayerfully we will be neither ineffective nor unproductive through that knowledge. Now, this goal, this goal, or the evidences that we are maturing as a church, I asked this question of the Bible study. I asked them, have you grown more now than you were a year ago? And some people said yes and no. Well, actually, most people said yes and no. 
And, and, they, and they all shared as their, their reasonings why. They said yes and no. And I, and I, and I agreed with, with everybody. I think, yeah, there are some areas where I've grown and, and some areas that I haven't. But the process of growth, remember it's an increasing measure as it talks about in Second Peter 1. It's an increasing measure. It's a gradual process. It's the growth of God working in each of us. And I think the evidences of that maturing, that we're maturing as individuals and that we're maturing as a church, is revealed by the attitudes we have toward various things. For example, are you more concerned with your personal holiness than you were a year ago? Are you more concerned with the lost and sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus? Have we become more generous? Have we grown in the fruit of the Spirit? Are we more loving? Are we more kind? Are we more patient and long-suffering? Has the fruit of the Spirit been a governing factor over our supernatural identity, over our, our natural default? What makes a strong church begins with having strong families, begins with your homes, when you look at your homes, how is God promoted within your homes? How, is, how do your children evidence the reality of Jesus Christ in the way you parent, and the way they see you react to your wife or to your husband? These are all evidences of your spiritual growth because as you grow within your home, that makes for a growing church as well as you seek to submit and to, to adhere to what God is doing in your lives. Think about this for a second. How, how well do you know brothers and sisters within the church now? Do you know more people now than you did a year ago? Have you reached out to more people now than a year ago? Now is the best time to reach out to people in the church, especially people that you don't know. And if you don't know, contact me. I'll give you their numbers. But I do know this, that there are some people who have reached out to others and I have seen the fruit of that contact as those brothers and sisters have contacted me and said, I got contacted by this person, I got contacted by that person. You know what that is? That's an evidence of people growing in their love for each other. They're maturing as well. They're not only having their eyes to themselves, but for the benefit and for the blessing of others. You see, this is the goal of this core value, that we would yearn, yearn to grow spiritually so that we might then in turn become a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. But the ball's in your court, brothers and sisters. The ball's in your court. And it begins, if, if the capacity has been laid out for us by the grace of God as revealed in the Word of God, if the potential is there to become more like Jesus, and then what he has done is called you and I to meet that call. In that calling, he has enabled, enabled us and strengthened us to be able to meet that call. And then he says, you play a part in that call as well, in that cultivation, by choosing to obey God's word, choosing to abide by your supernatural identity, as opposed to doing what's easy to you. I pray that we would be yearning. I pray that we would be a people that is seeking God's heart above all else. I pray that this church would truly be the body of Christ, of one mind, of one heart, that we reach out not only to each other, but then in turn, as a body, reach out to the world as well.
That's our challenge. That's the challenge I leave with you. Let's start making the right choices, as, as corny as that sounds. Let's start making the right choices for the glory of God and for the promotion and proclamation of his name. So if you just want to bow your heads, we'll close in a word of prayer, and then we'll hand things over to the AV team who's going to shut everything down. All right. I thought I was handing handing people to sing, but no one's singing. Okay. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the capacity for growth that you've given each one of us, that that expectation to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, is made available to all. And I pray that we will not be content in the stage that we're at now, but rather that we'll be like those fathers who have known you, who know you personally, who know you intimately, and in that knowledge become obedient to the call you have placed in our lives. Thank you that you work with us, you work in us, and you work through us. I pray that we as your people will be obedient to the convictions you lay upon each of our hearts and that we would truly be a church that will grow not only spiritually but grow in number for the glory of your name. So we ask for you to dismiss us now that you will watch over us, especially in this lockdown time, that you will convict us to actually reach out to those around us and to be a blessing, to let them know that we are praying for them, to let them know that we are thinking of them, to let them know that people are not alone. So we thank you so much for your family. We thank you so much for this church and ask, Lord, that you will be glorified in the choices that we make from here on out. As your word says, now... Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever, even unto the end of the age. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.